the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, January 29th, 2010. I'm Alana Rangi. ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, affects somewhere between 5 and 10% of all school-aged children. While there's medication that can help children focus and be less impulsive and restless, there has yet to be any therapy or medication that has a lasting effect into adulthood. That's right, adulthood. Recent research links ADHD to an underdeveloped region of the brain, a region that doesn't just heal as children get older. Jeffrey Halperin is a professor of neuropsychology at Queens College in New York. He's been researching ADHD for more than 30 years and is looking for long-term therapies for the disorder. This week, we visit his preschool program at Queens College, a research trial using behavioral therapies to stimulate the brains of preschoolers with ADHD, hopefully helping their brains grow and develop in ways they normally wouldn't. Let's face it, for a lot of us, winter means hibernation, which, if you're anything like me, involves your couch, a woolly blanket, some pay-per-view, and some comfort food. But get out of the house, Science in the City fans! On February 16th, we've got the second event in our Girls' Night Out series. We're bringing you NYU's Marion Nessel, an expert in what we eat and why. She'll talk about the science of diets and nutrition and the politics of food. So instead of eating those potato chips on the sofa, you can learn about them instead. And you'll know they'll be there when you get home. Tickets are going fast, so get yours today online at www.nyas.org slash girlsnightout. Hey there, how are you? Good, how are you? Hey, Tommy. The treatment lab of the Queens College Preschool Project is a pretty happy place, especially for five-year-old Tommy, who's arrived this afternoon to take part in a study oh playgroup. Tommy and two other children here today are part of a study on ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I'm Jeffrey Halperin. I'm a professor in the Department of Psychology at Queens College, and I'm the director of the Queens College Preschool Project, which is an ongoing longitudinal study of preschool children at risk for ADHD and other behavioral disorders. I got started with ADHD and behavioral disorders back in the early 1980s, actually. I had been working until that time primarily with animals and doing animal research and neuroscience research with animals and got introduced to the world of ADHD and child psychopathology at New York State Psychiatric Institute where I began working back then and I just found the whole area fascinating and what was particularly interesting for me coming from my background is that this was a clear example of a disorder or a difficulty that children were having related to development that I was very interested in, related to brain function, clearly a neurologically based disorder, and one that we didn't know a lot about back then, and we probably still don't know a lot about. What is known is that ADHD is estimated to affect between 5 and 10% of all school-aged children. That's a lot. 
It's a disorder that can be diagnosed as early as age three. Children with ADHD have trouble listening, focusing, remembering information, or completing tasks. They're restless and fidgety and chatty. They tend to interrupt and be very impatient and often embody the phrase, bouncing off the walls. But ADHD is a sliding scale, and some children may have a harder time than others. The disorder has a definite genetic link, and it's based in the brain, which means unlike previously thought, children don't outgrow the disorder. We know that it's developmental in nature, that it's very early emerging. I think at this point it's fairly clear that it's not just a childhood disorder as we thought at one point. Back in the 19, early 1980s when I began this adventure, we thought that kids would hit puberty and magically outgrow it. We know that's not the case anymore. Uh, for a good number of the children who have ADHD, it persists well into adolescence and adulthood. So it, it's really thought of much more as a lifetime or lifespan disorder. It's neurologically based. It's not bad parenting that causes ADHD, as perhaps was once thought. Parenting affects how children do and develop, no question about that. But certainly it's not parenting that causes ADHD. There are plenty of medications to help children with ADHD calm down and focus, but these are all temporary solutions. One of the things that's really clear, or becoming clearer at this point, even if you're successfully treated as a child with medication, doesn't seem to have much of an impact on long-term outcome. Medication helps symptoms, attention, hyperactivity, impulsivity at the time of treatment stop the medicine, everything comes back, and there's very little evidence, although people have certainly been looking a lot, um, but very little evidence to suggest that there's really a long-term benefit. So Jeff and his team are looking for other solutions for ADHD, and they're looking to the brain. The brains of children with ADHD are developmentally different than the brains of a non-ADHD child. What are the precise neural substrates? We don't really know, but there's been a lot of theories floating around. The primary places that people have been looking at or regions have been these what are referred to as frontal striatal pathways, looking at the relationship between prefrontal regions of the brain, sort of the executive function regions, and the striatum, which is very involved in motor control and motor regulation, and how these things interact seems to be important in ADHD. We've recently proposed a somewhat different theory of what we think is going on in ADHD, which we don't know yet whether it's right or not, but, but at this point we have several grants from NIH testing this theory. I guess at the core of this theory is the idea that what causes ADHD and what affects the trajectory or maybe makes it get a little better over development are different brain regions. We posit that this subcortical, lower down in the brain region that's dysfunctional probably at birth and that that's what's causing ADHD and that's a real dysfunction that stays there, that doesn't really change much, and doesn't get much better with development. However, over development, the cerebral cortex, the frontal striatal pathways, the prefrontal regions, those all develop over time and really continue developing through early adulthood at least. And how those regions develop 
really affect what the trajectory is like and the degree to which compensatory mechanisms can be put in place. So for all of you non-brain scientists out there, basically, Jeff's team has hypothesized that there's a region of the brain near the bottom called the subcortical region that at birth is underdeveloped in children with ADHD. Now, while this part of the brain doesn't seem to ever really grow in children with ADHD, the rest of the brain is pretty clever and learns to compensate for the subcortical's deficiencies. But, says Jeff, usually not enough to completely remedy the underdeveloped part of the brain. So, he wondered, what if they could stimulate the brains of children with ADHD, encouraging growth and connections that might not normally form? Could it help reduce their symptoms permanently? Early in the 2000s, around 2001, 2002, we decided to to begin to study younger children. It was fairly clear that ADHD evolves or comes out or first emerges very early in development. And the idea was that if we could really understand ADHD as it was first emerging and developing, that might be the appropriate time to think about developing interventions. Now, a treatment study that we're just getting started on is really based on the notion that environmental influences can affect brain growth and development. So if we can do the right exercises, if you want, to develop the brain as opposed to the exercises you do to build your muscles, the exercises to develop the brain, that these children will have a a more advantageous trajectory and get better. And if we can do it early enough, perhaps we can either prevent or significantly moderate the severity of the course of the disorder throughout life. And unlike medicine, as we were talking about it before, it wouldn't be a transient effect because it's affecting brain development. It would be more permanent. How about you? Do you have any favorite games that you've been playing at all? Back in the testing lab, two of Jeff's colleagues, David and Anil, wrangle the kids in the playgroup. They're going to play a game called shopping. So, okay, Lola, we're going to go with you first, okay? So, let's see. I have to go shopping. Oh, let's take a seat, please. Good job. I have to, thank you very much. I have to go shopping for a project David and I are doing, right? And I have to get these four things. All right. Ready, Lola? Lola, are you going to help us out with our project? You're going to help go shopping and get these four things? Lola is rolling around on the floor. In between David and Anil is a large bucket filled with various items. So I think we are going to be making this uh, arts and crafts project, right? And the four things that we need, Lola, are, ready? We need some, I think we need some tape. We need a bottle of water, we need a screwdriver, and we need uh, a box of paper clips. Mm-hmm. You know, to find those for okay, me. so remember, guys. Um, uh, Lola dashes to the bucket and roots around. She pulls out a screwdriver, a bottle of water, a tissue box, and hands them to David. It's not exactly what they asked for, but a good start. Tommy, what do you think? Do we have to, get, do we have to get a tissue box? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Actually, guys, um, we have to get something that starts with a T, but it's not a tissue box. Oh, I know, I know. You know what? We'll let Lola uh, take a first guess. David and Anil coach the children through the game, which is really an exercise in memory and focus, which has been disguised. These children will visit Jeff's playgroup a total of five times, and each time they'll learn new games. 
The repertoire is designed to target a variety of skills which are typically underdeveloped in children with ADHD. We tried to think of games that would be fun and it was essential that they be fun because we want the children to want to play them at home. One of the things we stress with the parents a lot is when you play these games at home with your children, it shouldn't be like homework. It should be a lot of fun time together. And for many of them, the children are saying, Ma, can we play, which is really what we're looking for. Um, so one is that they be fun. The second is that they seem to tap into some kind of cognitive skill or demanding in some kind of cognitive way. And we think about the kinds of areas where kids with ADHD have difficulties and have structured games around them. So we have a lot, some games that are very demanding of inhibitory control. So we have our puppet says game, which when one puppet says something, you do it when the other puppet, it's not so different from Simon says. If you go quickly and they really have to be able to inhibit. We do freeze dancing with them and the music is going and they're dancing and when the music stops they have to be statues. Uh, so we do some of that for inhibitory control. While the children are in the playgroup with Anil and David, their parents are in a room across the hall with Jeff. Each week while the children learn and practice structured play, the parents learn the same games with Jeff and have a chance to talk about how their child is progressing and how the week went. We played the go shop, going shopping, mm -hmm. and uh, the first time we tried it, which was on Monday, he was, I mean, I tried it, on, yeah, I tried it on Monday. He was good. He remembered, you know, I used some things to sort of trick him, like I used like a can of black beans and one of red beans and, mm -hmm. you know, different things. So can mm -hmm. you bring me this and not that? And, and he was good. He brought everything. But then I noticed that he was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I know this. I don't want to play this. Jeff says mm -hmm. often but some of the remember. best ideas and insights come from the parents. Like, the parents are encouraged to play these games with their children for at least 30 minutes a day, and they keep a logbook of their child's attentiveness, interest, and enjoyment. As the children get bored or too smart for the games, Jeff sometimes gives them modifications to try. A lot of the time, the parents come up with their own modifications or variations. Here's Tommy's mom talking about a new version of the Puppet Says game she made up. We have a, um, I didn't write it down, but we have a new variation of a Puppet Says. Oh, okay. So what we do is uh, we put a duct tape like on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. Like a line. <laughs> one side will be like land, the other side will be water. Mm -hmm. So one says land, the other one says water, land, water. So he has to jump, follow the two of them. But you can drink and like land, water, land. Land, you know, <laughs> he'll be ready to jump into water, but you know. Oh, and, that's great! That's he, a great one. He finds that to be like the. Jeff's lab is currently running two simultaneous study groups of preschool-aged children, funded by the NIH. But this is just the beginning of his treatment trials and his study of these children. So what will happen is we have these first two years to really tweak it and develop it. Then the next three years to really run what one would call a clinical trial. So we'll get behavioral ratings, are ADHD symptoms getting better? Is it lasting after the treatment ends for one month and three months? And so we're seeing real behavioral change in addition to them just playing the games. The next step after that is to really go back and, and go for a larger grant, which would do a similar, although larger, clinical study along with probably neuroimaging, probably functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI, or even structural imaging of DTI, looking at fiber growth in the brain, and really seeing if we can get 
real measures of brain change and brain development in these children. And that's really the goal. And can we show an association between behavioral change and brain growth and brain development and really much longer follow-up? Of course, in the ideal, what we're looking for isn't just to get short-term efficacy or effectiveness, which one can get very easily with medicine, or behavior modification, but really something that's going to change the trajectory of the disorder for the child over their lifespan. This round of Jeff's treatment trials will wrap up in the next month. Then he and his lab will start analyzing the data and planning for future trials. While it's still too soon to know exactly what's happening in the brains of Tommy and his playmates, Jeff says he's optimistic about what they'll find. And at the very least, everyone seems to be having fun. For Science in the City, I'm Alana Rangi. Thanks for listening. Science in the City is a nonprofit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. This means we need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series, as well as the rest of the Science in the City program, like our events and our website. For more information on Academy membership and to support Science in the City today, log on to scienceandthecity.org/donate. As always, we'd love any feedback you have for us here at Science in the City. You can send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or you can leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. See you next week.